Thank you for listening to the Sunday School Teaching Ministry of Pastor Luke Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Amen. All right. Well, I have a praise I want to share this morning. Um, Tomorrow is a very special day for us. Uh, We have our 24th wedding anniversary, so uh, praise the Lord for that. There we go. Amen. What a beautiful bride is right. All right, I'm opening up. My wife and I are celebrating that day tomorrow, and for all these years, uh, 24 years, she's done a really good job of pretending to like me, so I appreciate that. And speaking of heaven, uh, what we're talking about right now, it's been a little bit of heaven on earth uh, these 24 years, I will say that for sure. That is not a, that is not a joke, that is not a pretend, that is true. Um... There was a one lovely moonlit night. A grandfather was walking with his small granddaughter. They went for a walk, and the stars were just beautiful, magnificent outside. The grandfather started naming the stars and the constellations and telling his granddaughter about them. And so she was just taking it all in, and she finally popped up and said, Grandpa, if the bottom side of heaven is this beautiful, just think how good the top side's going to be. We've been talking about the amazing top side of heaven. This is an unbelievable gift that the Lord gives us, life eternal. And we've been learning that our final home, our final resting place uh, with the Lord is actually the new earth, a new earth that he creates. It's familiar in many ways to this earth, but so much better. And it is a perfect version of the earth that God really wanted from the very beginning. What a gift. What a gift to you and me. And I think many Christians are missing out on a huge blessing when we don't do what the scriptures say and set our mind on things above. Set set your heart on things above and not on things on this earth. Actually, we were talking about that funeral here a few days ago. I firsthand saw the hopelessness and many of the folks that were there um, as this funeral for a 21-year-old man, young man, and we just didn't have that assurance of heaven for him. His, some of his family members are friends of ours, and so we were able to do this for them, but, but, uh, but it was just lacking that assurance of heaven. How sad, how grieving, really. We tried to provide hope and let them know where they can find that assurance, but it's a fearful and miserable thing when a person has zero hope in heaven. Mark Twain became so morose and weary of life shortly before his death. Here's what Mark Twain wrote. Listen to this. A myriad of men are born. They labor and sweat and struggle. They squabble and scold and fight. They scramble for little mean advantages over each other. Age creeps upon them, infirmities follow. Those they love are taken from them, and the joy of life is turned to aching grief. It, the release, comes at last. The only unpoisoned gift earth ever had for them. And they vanish from a world where they were of no consequence. 
a world which will lament them a day and forget them forever. <laughs> that is, that is the, the hopelessness of man without Jesus. But you know, there was another man who lived at the same time Mark Twain lived. His name was D.L. Moody. And listen to this statement that he made and notice the difference. D.L. Moody said, Someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. <laughs> At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. Amen. I shall have gone up higher, that is all, out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal, a body that, we, that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. I was born of the flesh in 1837. I was born of the spirit in 1856. That which is born of the flesh may die. That which is born of the spirit will live forever. <laughs> the Christian has so much to be excited about. There's all, there are always better days ahead for the believer. The Christian ought to be filled with excitement and expectation every single day. Now, one, of the th one thing that a focus on heaven does for us as believers is that you again start to appreciate the extraordinary grace of God. We realize that we never could have gotten to heaven by ourselves. All that we're going to see and, and, and experience is all a gift through the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nobody ever that's gonna be up there saying, man, I sure glad I did all that to get here. Look what I built for myself. No, 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 no. It is all a gift of God through Jesus Christ. And I hope I've made that extremely clear to everybody. Heaven is for those who have simply put their trust in Jesus Christ. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. You accept Jesus Christ, this is a, he says you have the gift of eternal life. But God's grace, here's the amazing thing, God's grace doesn't end at giving us heaven. This is one of those things now that we're going to talk about today that really blows my mind. Heaven is gift enough. If that's all we got, really, actually, even if it wasn't heaven and we just escaped hell, that's enough. The fact that now we get this amazing eternal life with the Lord Jesus is beyond imagination. And now I'm going to tell you the story isn't even done there. God's goodness extends even further. And we should love him even more after we find out what we're talking about today. I can't really believe this, but God promises heavenly rewards on top of everything else for those who obey him here. It's incredible. Let's all take a closer look at something Jesus said. Matthew chapter six and verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, we know this passage, and uh, it's familiar to many of us, but have you looked at it closely? See, we tend to focus on the negative part. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth. By pointing out the moth and rust and the thieves and all of that, Jesus is telling us that you cannot take money with you. You cannot take material things with you to heaven. It just doesn't work that way. So don't be so caught up on this earth. But we might not spend much energy focusing on the second thing that Jesus said in this. And that is, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Here's the point. Jesus is not opposed to laying up treasure. 
He just wants you to lay up treasure, not here, there. Yes, laying up treasure uh, or laying up enough for our future needs, saving and having enough for our future here in this earth is wise. The book of Proverbs tells us that. And having enough, and, and that's all good, and being able to have a home and, and have nice things, nothing wrong with any of that, no sin. But just to store up treasure, just to build bigger barns, is something that Jesus specifically said not to do. Amen. Now think about the things implied in this statement here where we're talking about building up or storing up treasure in heaven. I, wanna, I have six things real quick I want you just to think about in that statement. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures uh, on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Think about what he says here. Number one, that God has made a way for us to store up treasure in heaven. So just the simple fact, God has made a way for us to do this. There is a way to store up treasure in heaven. Number two, we store it up for ourselves. He says store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, meaning this can come back to you someday there. Number three, it's called treasure. Therefore, it's something desirable, something you're gonna want in heaven. Number four, we get this treasure later and not now. It's something, it's delayed gratification here. It's something that the Lord wants you to do now so that you can get it later. And number five, it's incorruptible, and I created a word, unstealable. Therefore, it lasts forever. It cannot be stolen. It is incorruptible. Nobody can take it from you. It's going to last forever and ever and ever and ever. And then number six, our heart follows the location of our treasure. So if, if we had these things in our mind, if we actually had this mindset of don't store up treasure here, store up, keep storing up treasure, store up treasure that I can use later on in heaven. If that was in our mind, uh, how might that radically change the way we live, the way we do things, the way we serve others, the way we spend our money? Do Christians actually live like this? Do you know anybody <laughs> that lives like this? With this mindset of you can't take your treasure with you, but you can send it on ahead. The reformer, I think there are many believers who've done this. The reformer Martin Luther said this, I have held many things in my hands and I have lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. Missionary David Livingston said, I have no value on anything I possess except in relation to the kingdom of God. John Wesley said, I value all things only by the price they shall gain in eternity. By the way, John Wesley made considerable money on his book royalties. And at a time back then, a single man could live comfortably on 30 pounds a year in England. But his annual income reached 1,400 pounds a year. And yet, Wesley's goal was to give so generously that he would leave virtually nothing behind when he died. He, and he achieved that goal. He said, money never stays with me. It would burn me if it did. I throw it out of my hands as soon as possible, lest it should find its way into my heart. And nobody can forget the, the immortal words of missionary Jim Elliot, who said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Now again, think about these words. We tend to focus again on the giving what we cannot keep part. That's what we think when we hear that phrase. But look closely at what Jim Elliot said here. He is expect, Jim Elliot is expecting to gain rewards in heaven. He said, to gain what I cannot lose. What I cannot lose. See, it's the doctrine of eternal rewards that helped fuel the flame of these men of God. 
they obviously understood something that this life is not all there is. This is a blip on the radar of the rest of my life. And they truly believe that heaven is their home and when we get there, we're gonna wish that we had done all we could for Christ on this earth because there's something coming back to them. Now, we wanna do everything we can for Christ's sake, but also even for our own sake, there's a, there's a level of that in, in all of this as well. So what are these treasures and how do we lay them up for ourselves in heaven? Now, we're not gonna be able to study this whole subject in one lesson because there's actually quite a bit in the Bible about eternal rewards. But I will give you quite a few verses. We're gonna run through them quickly here and talk about this so we can get a grasp on what God says. And the New Testament clearly talks again and again about the connection between what we do here and then our rewards in heaven. So here we go. I'm gonna give you several things that are going to be rewarded in heaven according to the New Testament. Here we go. Good works. Good works will be rewarded in heaven. Ephesians 6, 8 says, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Romans 2, verse 6 says, who will render to every man according to his deeds. See, there is a law of rewards in the Bible. God will render to every man according to his deeds. By the way, that even applies in punishment in hell. People in, that are going to be cast into hell, it says that they will, they will pay for their deeds according to what they have done, according to, meaning based on how they lived, the Bible says. So there appears to be degrees of punishment in hell. Jesus said it'd be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for uh, certain cities. And so he gave this levels of punishment even. And on the other hand, every good, good deed a believer does is seen by God and is eligible for rewards. Jesus talked about even your smallest act of kindness, the smallest thing you could think of that you could do for another person. For example, giving someone a cup of cold water. Mark chapter nine and verse 41, for whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. All, every one of your little acts of service, husband, to your, for your wife, every one of your little acts of service, wife, to your, for your husband, mom, dad, church volunteer, every little thing that you have done for the, for the sake of Christ, and you've done it because it's the right thing, and Jesus would want you to do it, it is eligible for reward in heaven. Number two, denying self will be rewarded. Look what Matthew chapter 16 says. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Now look at this next verse. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, then he shall reward every man according to his works. If we deny ourselves, as this is said here, if you've given up your ambitions, if you've, for, for the Lord's sake, if you've given up money for the Lord's sake, if you've given up your reputation for the Lord's sake, if you've given up relationships for the Lord's sake, you will be rewarded in heaven, and these will be tangible rewards. Another one is showing compassion. Showing compassion on the needy will be rewarded. Look at Luke 14. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed, 
for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. When you help someone that cannot pay you back, God sees that, and you will be recompensed at the resurrection. Loving our enemies will be rewarded. Look at Luke 6.35, but love ye your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Look what it says, your reward will be great, will be huge, will be big if you've loved your enemies. Why, in this case, so big, such a big reward? Well, I think because loving your enemies is a huge thing to do. It's a hard thing to do. Amen. And then generous giving is rewarded. Look at verse, or Matthew 19, many other verses, but Matthew 19, 21, Jesus said unto him, if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Listen, God does not require every person to sell everything that they have and give to the poor. But he asks us to be willing to do that if he were to ask you to do that. And he certainly tells us to be generous with what we've been given. First Timothy, verse, uh, First Timothy chapter 6, look at these verses. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, that is to be to give and be generous. And then verse 19, laying up store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. God says if you're, if you're rich, if you have wealth in this life, do good works and give. You will store up great things for yourself in eternity. You can't take it all with you, but you can send it on ahead. And then living faithfully with good motives is rewarded. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest or make clear the counsels of the heart. And then shall every man have praise of God. See, God's going to bring to light the counsels of our heart with how we did what we did, or why we did what we did, the motives. He will praise or reward that genuine heart of service to Jesus. Jesus told the Pharisees that love to do good things, you know, uh, they would out, go out there and bring their coins and drop it in the offering and make all the noise, and, and they would pray out in front of everybody. And Jesus said, look at those guys. They're out there in front of everyone doing all their good deeds, but see, they're doing it to be seen of men. And so what did Jesus say about that? He said, they have their reward. That's their reward. They get a, a reward here and now. People look at them and say, oh, wow, what an amazing guy. But those who do good for Jesus have a greater reward. They have another reward coming in heaven, much bigger, much better, and the reward of Jesus. What a thing to live for, to hear Jesus say, well done, well done good and faithful servant. There's another one, perseverance under persecution is rewarded. Luke chapter six and verse 22, blessed are ye when men shall hate you, when they shall separate you from their company and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the son of man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great where? In heaven. 
For in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. And I've read about some of those believers down through history who have faced such horrible persecution. Let me tell you something. Those people, their reward is great in heaven. Their reward is great. And they deserve every bit of it. And I believe the Christians who persevere through hatred even here. And as the days come ahead that it almost just feels like the hatred toward believers is getting stronger and stronger. Let, let this verse just ring in your heart over and over again. Blessed are ye when people hate you and cast you out of their company and, and say we don't want you around. Blessed are you because great is your reward in heaven. And let me mention quickly here, also on top of all this that I've just read, that there many of you know about the five special heavenly crowns in scripture. So real quick, let's I'm run through those. Number one, the imperishable crown in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. By the way, Paul is pushing for us to go ahead and go after those rewards. Go ahead, go after them. Run like you're in a race for Jesus. And then verse 25, and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. He's self-controlled. He's like an athlete who, who makes sure his body is in shape and he does, he's disciplined. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. See, faithful endurance and striving for excellence and doing all we can for the Lord and being disciplined in this Christian life is rewarded with a special incorruptible crown in heaven. That's what this is all about. God rewards discipline. And then number two, the crown of rejoicing. 1 Thessalonians 2.19, for what is our hope or, or joy or crown of rejoicing? What is it? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? This is the crown for the soul winner. See, when, when we've led someone to Christ, what's gonna be our greatest crown in heaven, the one that we want to be able to, the reward that we want? And we wanna be able to see as many people in heaven because of something we did here on earth. Amen. And by the way, by the way, it's not just when you lead a soul to Christ, when you pray with them, that, that's not the only way you get this crown of rejoicing. If you've given of your resources, and through your giving, people are saved. Let me tell you something, your reward is a crown of rejoicing in heaven. And then number three, the crown of righteousness, 2 Timothy 4.8. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith, Paul said. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also, that love his appearing. This crown of righteousness is a reward for those who have completed the Christian race with integrity, with eyes fixed on the coming Jesus, and, and done what they can do to gain that day, for, fulfilling the ministry that God has given to them. Whatever God has said, this is what I want you to do, they run that race to the very end. And then number four, the crown of glory, 1 Peter 5, 4, and when the chief shepherd shall appear, he's talking to pastors here primarily, and and spiritual leaders in this case. When the chief shepherd, we pastors are an under shepherd that serve the chief shepherd who is Jesus. When the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. A promised reward for faithful spiritual leaders in the church who followed the chief shepherd faithfully. And then number five, a crown of life. Revelations 2.10. It says, fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. But be, faith, be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. 
Then James 1.12, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. This crown is given to those who endured and triumphed over trials and persecutions in their life. Now, with going through all of that, let me just say this again. The overwhelming evidence of Scripture tells us that it, God is watching everything that takes place here on this earth. He sees every little thing that's done. And he wants to reward his people for what they do here. He wants to reward us. Now, I'm not sure about all the intricate details of what all these rewards are. But they obviously somehow enhance our experience of heaven. Paul gives some details about that day when the rewards are passed out. And he uses the illustration of rewards for athletics. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, it says, For we, he's talking to believers now, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done whether it be good or bad. Now let me clarify here. This judgment seat is, again, for believers only. The unsaved are going to stand before Jesus at another judgment that's called the great white throne judgment. But this, this particular judgment is not about judging sins. See, a believer's sins were all judged on the cross and all paid for. So this is only the evaluation of our good works. It's the evaluation of how we did and why we did and what we did on this earth. When it says good or bad there at the end, I think the bad part means that bad motives or missed opportunities, not sin. See, in the ancient times, and what Paul's referring to here, he's writing to the Corinthian church in uh, the city of Corinth, and he was relating this judgment day someday that we're going to be before Jesus uh, to the Olympic games, Olympic style games. They're actually called then the Isthmus games. And they held different, several different types of sporting events. And after the event, the winners would come to a place called the Bema. And in Corinth, you can still go and actually stand on a Bema that they had there in that city. It's still, the ruins are still there. This, that word, Greek word Bema is the word here in this verse, judgment seat. So Paul is saying, it's like at the end of your race, when you're all done, when you've served the Lord your whole life, and you're going to come and you're going to be right at that place of awards. And it's here that a, crown, a wreath crown would be placed on the winner of the race. And this is how Paul wants us to see our lives here on this earth. It's a race for Jesus. You have a limited time. This is, there's a finish line one day. And Jesus, at the end of this, wants to give you a bunch of rewards and say, good job, well done, good and faithful servant. And so the question Paul is asking is, will you go out all, all out for him or not? Will you give in to your flesh? That's who, you, that's who your opponent is in this race. It's your own flesh. It's your own comfort. Will you give in to that and back off or will you just keep going for Jesus all the way? One day the race will be over. We've done all that we can, we can at that point. You can do no more for the Lord. We'll open our eyes in heaven, and as we talked about the last two weeks, we'll be there in heaven. We'll, we'll just embrace our Savior first of all. We'll begin to see sights that we've never seen. We'll just begin to enjoy the amazing place that heaven is and taking it all in. It'll just be overwhelming to us. We'll start to meet 
new people, that people we've only read about in scripture and will be just filled with joy. But then there'll be coming a day up in heaven that it's time to go before the bema. And then we'll stand before Jesus, we've already embraced him, and then Jesus kind of sits there on the bema and says, all right, let's, let's look at your works that you did all in this earth. Let's take a look at those and I wanna give you something for all that you did down there. And on that day, when we stand before Jesus, the only thing we're gonna want is for Jesus just to say, good job, good job down there. You did so good, I wanna give you this crown, you ran your race so well. Well done, well done, good and faithful servant. I think that will be the ultimate motivation. We would just wanna see that smile on Jesus' face. And what he gives us at that point won't even matter as much as just seeing him smile, but it will just come back on it, and we'll just wanna do it for him. First Corinthians chapter three, Paul gives another analogy to help us understand this moment. Verse 13, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. This is that judgment seat of Christ. Because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, the loss of that reward that he could have had. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. You're saved, you're born again, you've got heaven. But Jesus, your loving Savior, will be sitting there and excited to give you a reward for your work. He will set fire, as it were, to your works, all the things that we did, and to test them. And this fire will prove if your works were the real thing or if we just did them for ourselves or to be seen of men. And he will evaluate our good works of what sort it is, it says here. Were we faithful with what we've been given? Did we do it from our heart? Did we give all of our effort and rely on the power of the Holy Spirit? Did we do, listen, what God wanted us to do and did we do it how God wanted us to do it? See, the parables of Jesus really help tie all of this together. The parables parables of Jesus teach us this whole thing is really all, when it comes down to that day, when we're gonna stand before Jesus, it's really about the faithfulness with what he's given to us. I've given you so much on earth. I've given you some, I've given you some. He told a lot of parables about this. I gave you some, I gave you some, I gave you some. What did you do with what I gave you? Some have a little bit, some have a lot in this area. Sometimes it goes this way and that way. That's God's business, what he gives us. But were you faithful with what he gave you? It's not about, well, this guy's a pastor, so he gets more rewards. No, 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 sir. That is not what the Bible teaches. It's about faithfulness with what God wanted you to do. Were you faithful with what God called you to do? See, Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27, we're not gonna go through that whole story, but this is a parable. And up here, as I put here, listen to this. It teaches that where there is equal ability but unequal faithfulness, there will be a smaller reward. Now, let me tell you about this one real fast. The servants, you you can look at it later, but the servants... So this master came and he gave his servants. Uh, each of them got 10 pounds, it says. While the nobleman went away to get the kingdom, and then he was going to come back and see what his servants did with those 10 pounds. Well, when he returned, he found out that the first servant 
added 10 more pounds to his 10 pounds. And so the nobleman said, you, sir, are going to get 10 cities to rule over. Well done. And then he went to the next guy and the guy said, listen, I had 10 pounds but, and I made five more pounds. And Jesus said, good job. Well done. I'm, you're gonna have five cities to oversee uh, in my kingdom. And then the last guy who was given 10 pounds, he said, I hit it, I was afraid, I was afraid of you, so I didn't make anything more. And then, so what the nobleman did is he took his 10 pounds and he, he gave it to the first guy. It's about faithfulness. It's about faithfulness with what is given. No rewards for him. Matthew chapter 25 teaches us a different, uh, a different side of this. This parable teaches that where there is unequal ability, but equal faithfulness, the rewards will be the same. In this one, the man traveled into a far country and he gave his servants goods, but he, each, he gave them each a different amount. He, the first one, he gave five talents. The next one, he gave two talents. And the last one, he gave one talent. The one who received the five made five more. And so Jesus, the, the master came and said, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm gonna make you ruler over many things. The next guy who had two talents made another two talents and same thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. But that last one, he had one talent and he, uh, he made nothing. He hid it under the dirt. He said, I was afraid of you and so I didn't make anything. And Jesus said, here's the words. You are a wicked and slothful servant. And I'm taking that talent from you and I'm giving it to that first guy who is faithful. See, again, the principle that you see that Jesus is talking about over and over again is he who is faithful in little can be faithful in much. Where's the little? Well, the little is here on this earth. What he gives us here. And then in heaven, I can give you much. You can be faithful with much. If you're faithful with money, energy that God's given you, good health, talent. If you're faithful with all these things that he's given to you, then you get a crown and you get a reward and many, many new ways to serve the Lord in heaven. I wanna mention to this because this is showing us that heaven will not be the exact same for every single person really. There's no way, when I think about this and I read scripture, it's pretty obvious and I think we, could, we know this, there's no way that a person like some of these who have given everything their whole lives to be missionaries and have died on the mission field, there's no way that the rewards that they get in heaven are gonna be the same as some carnal, self-focused Christian who hardly ever gave anything to the Lord and went, only went to church when the weather was good. But let me just say this, no, no one will ever have any fe feeling of unfairness in heaven you will never have any feeling of envy. I wish I had what they had. I wish I had what they had. No, never. All of us in heaven will just understand that the Lord gave us what was right. Everything is right. And again, we'll be so over, overwhelmed with the goodness of God, that he, his grace that he would give us everything that we do have. There won't be any of this uh, envy at all. And let me say this. When you look at these rewards, Jesus talks about it. It seems that our greatest joy to me in heaven, the, the thing that's gonna bring us the most joy will be the capacity or the opportunity to do more for the Lord. Amen. 
That seems to be this, this big reward Jesus keeps talking about. You get a crown and you get, you're, gonna be rule, you're gonna rule with me. As I said, standing there face to face with Jesus on that day, on that judgment seat of Christ, uh, there's gonna be nothing we will want more, I think, than to say, Jesus, what can I do more for you? What, what can I do here in heaven? What can I, how, can I, how can I just be here with you, be near you and do something for you? See, part of the reward appears to be ruling with Christ in a greater capacity, and some might wonder and say, well, is that really a reward to rule with Christ? I don't want to rule anybody. But consider what we love here on this earth. What is one of our greatest joys as believers? It's to feel useful and, and to be able to know that Jesus is smiling on us at the end of the day, saying, well done. We want to make him smile. We might want to make sure that he feels good. And you know, that really does make us feel the most good as well. And in heaven, when our motives are finally perfected, we'll have no false and bad motives, our greatest thrill will be able to be able to do something for Jesus for the next trillion years. Jesus, I'm gonna be with you forever and ever. We're gonna be up here a long time. Uh, let me do something for you. That's what we're gonna wanna do. We want more to do, more to do for the Lord. And work will not be drudgery. It will honor the Lord and be our greatest excitement to be able to be creative for him and just enjoy him. People talk about throwing their crowns at the feet of Jesus. Now that's very possible that we'll do that. The Bible actually says that the 24 elders do that. So it doesn't speci specifically say we all do that. But if that is the case, and I can certainly see why, we would want to throw all of our anything that we get from the Lord just back on him. There's certainly that's true. But if that's the case, then some people make it, makes it sound like, well, I'm not even doing anything for rewards. But let me flip that around just a little bit. Don't you want more crowns to throw at Jesus's feet? Lord, give them all to me because I hope I gain all. So I guess I want to throw as much as I can at you. But I will say throwing down our crowns doesn't take away the reward of ruling with Christ. Just because we throw our crowns down doesn't mean to say Jesus says, okay, forget it. Now you're not ruling anymore up here because you threw your crown down. That's not how that works. Just as throwing down our crowns doesn't make the 24 elders not the 24 elders anymore. Now I agree that reward shouldn't be our only motive to serve Jesus. But with all that we just read in the Bible, all that Jesus said, all of those verses right there, about treasures and rewards, certainly uh, getting from Jesus these rewards can be one of our motives. See, we obey God not only because we love him, we obey him now, not only because we love him and are thankful for his grace, and those probably are the top motives, but we also obey Jesus because it's smart and sin is stupid, and it always pays off in the end to just do it God's way. So that's another motive. That's part of the motive that we do this. And that's what we're talking about here. The end is heaven. The end is a great payoff. You might as well just do this. Remember this, as we said, you can't take it with you. You cannot take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Whatever, you're, whatever you've got, you can send it on ahead. I end with this here. I want you to imagine for a minute that you're a financial counselor. Today, you have two appointments coming into your office. First one is with an elderly widow, and the second one is with a middle-aged man. The widow comes in, and she sits down at your desk, and she says, listen, I have very little money, hardly anything. In fact, all I really have are these two mites. She feels that the Lord wants her to 
give those two mites in the offering at church. And you're looking at her and saying, you know, this is quite a situation you have. You want to give that to the church, but this is all you have left? After all we've heard today, what counsel do you tell her? A little later, another man, uh, the middle-aged man comes in and he tells you he's been very successful in his farming and he feels like he wants to tear down his barns and build bigger ones and just to live the rest of his life on the proceeds, enjoying his wealth, eating, drinking, and being merry. And again, you look at that man and you might be tempted to say, well, you deserve it. You've worked hard. You've done all of this, you know. But after all we've heard today, how would you counsel him? <laughs> So he says, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll give maybe to God later, but, but for now, I just want to enjoy all of this. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus was in the temple, and he said he saw a widow. He was watching everybody give their offerings, and people were throwing in large amounts. And then this little widow came up and gave two mites. And Jesus stopped everybody, stopped the service. <laughs> and he said, everybody, this lady right here, Imagine Jesus was watching us do the offering, you know, what are you giving there, you know? This, this lady has given more than everybody in this room because she gave of all that she had. She saw something greater in heaven. And in Luke chapter 12, Jesus said of the, a wealthy man who was a farmer who had wanted to big build, big, big, build bigger barns, that's how you say it, and, and eat, drink, and be merry, Jesus said, you, he's just building up a treasure for himself on this earth. And is not, he said, he's not rich toward God. Now, I want to challenge all of us to think more with a heavenly perspective. Just think with a heavenly perspective. And don't be so earthly minded. We need to take all of our stuff and all of our works and everything that we do to the Lord. Lord, am I being faithful with what you've given me? I just want to follow you. You tell me, you help me run my life. And I want to see, I just want to see your smile at the end. Well done, good and faithful servant. Here you go. Here you go. Here you go. Lord, may this be the story of our We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, Thank you for joining us.